Hey guys, uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the campus minister. Um, I say it every week. Uh, I don't know all of you. I'm like very familiar with the fact that there's a lot of you I don't know. And there's a lot more of you that are over here, just in general. This side's okay, you know, just, it's cool. You can be on this side too. Um, but I don't, there's a lot of you I don't know. Some of you like it that way. Um, uh, but I would love to get to know you guys. Um, I would encourage you, if you come to RUF, I know it's easy to kind of come and then leave and kind of get your fix and leave. Um, Just reach out to somebody. uh, Make friends with somebody. Um, We can't kind of do this alone. Um, Whether you're a Christian or not, you're trying to figure this stuff out. Uh, It's it's just really kind of hard to do it on your own. So please reach out to me or to Will in the back with the hat or Jen, who's a Canadian tonight. Thank you. Um, And uh, that's still a North Dakota accent, not a Canadian accent. And... um, or just someone else, just get to know somebody, um, that would be uh, great. And uh, good costumes tonight, uh, they're great for two reasons, number one, because no one dressed up like me, and because if you dress up like me, then you're the person that dressed up like the REF campus minister, and that says something kind of lonely about you. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and that no one dressed up like the sexy version of something, thank you, none of you for doing that, like the sexy cat. The sexy nurse, the sexy baby, the sexy firefighter. Um, those costumes are terrible, so thank you. Especially Will, thank you. Um, uh, tonight we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 5. We've been um, doing a series this semester called Questions God Asks. And so basically what we've been doing is looking at uh, times in the scripture where God asks a question, which is a curious thing. Uh, why would God ask questions? And uh, every time we see God asking a question, it's because he wants to teach us something about himself uh, and, about our, and about ourselves. So tonight we're in John 5, in the Gospel of John. Uh, John is the fourth gospel. Um, at the beginning of the New Testament, there's four accounts of the life and times of Jesus Christ and um, John is the fourth one. And um, really what's kind of neat about the Gospels, if you think about it, is you would think it would make a lot of sense to kind of take all these accounts and boil them down into one. You know, this, we, we kind of want to be on the same page here. We have this one cogent thing. This is who you know, the definitive biography of Jesus. But that's not what we have in the Scripture. What we have is four men writing about their accounts of the life of Jesus. And so, you know, they're all kind of the same structure, you know, Jesus was born, Jesus had a ministry, Jesus died, Jesus was raised, right? Um, But they each kind of include different elements, different stories for different reasons, and they kind of each have their own um, personalities, right? It would be like, imagine if, you know, I know some of you guys like to take notes, which freaks me out, and um, it would be like if you compared four different people's notes at the end of the night. You know, they're all notes about the same sermon, um, but they're each going to kind of take notice of different things, kind of see things from a different perspective, maybe write their own thoughts in. And that's kind of what we have uh, in the Gospels. Uh, it makes a fuller picture. Imagine that you had four eyewitnesses at a crime scene instead of one, right? You have a fuller, richer picture, and that's what the Gospels do. But it raises the question, um, why, does, why do certain writers of Gospels include some things, but they don't include other things? Like, you may realize this, like, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each have different things. Sometimes it's in all four, sometimes it's just in one. And tonight, there is a, this, this account is only in John's gospel, and it's a healing story. It's a story about Jesus healing somebody. 
And it raises another interesting question. Why this healing story? Jesus healed a lot of people, obviously. Um, Why would John need to include this one and not other ones? Uh, And John actually tells us this in John chapter 20. He says this. John gives us his agenda, like why he puts stuff in and not other stuff. And he says this. Now, Jesus did many other things, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is telling us, I'm putting this story in here, one, because it actually legitimately happened, but I'm putting in here because I want you to know Jesus, and I want you to have life in Jesus. And so he's trying to get across a certain point. So as we read together, let's keep that in mind that John is trying, he has an agenda with us, and he wants to get something across. So let's read in John chapter 5, 1 through 18. It's up on the screen. Thank you, Carter. Uh, All right, listen, this is the word of our God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going down, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we consider it together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you indeed that Jesus uh, is able and willing uh, to save, to heal. Um, Lord, thank you that you move towards us. Uh, Lord, would you come to us now by your spirit to attend to your word, um, Lord, and the teaching of it for your glory and for our good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look through this passage, nothing fancy tonight. Um, We're just going to look at the three basic parts of this uh, story. The question that Jesus asks, the healing itself, and then the reaction of the people that are there. Um, So first, the question, the question that Jesus asked this guy. It's a series called Questions God Asks, so we'll look at the question. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem for for a holiday, for a Jewish holiday. 
And he finds himself in this place called Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda means house of mercy. Maybe you grew up in a church that was called Bethesda. Uh, And there's all kinds of people in this place. And they have something the matter with them, right? They're disabled. Some of them are blind. Some of them can't walk. Some of them are paralyzed, injured, etc. And they're all gathered in this place because there's a pool there. And something weird happens with this water where the water starts to get stirred up. And the first person that gets into it, they think... Uh, is healed. Now, I don't know if, if it was like some kind of supernatural, angelic kind of thing going on. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't there, clearly. Um, I don't know. Like they, Some people say that maybe like medicinal springs came into this water at certain times and people could get healed. Um, but it seemed to be the case that people believed that the first person and only the first person that got down into the water would be healed. Um, but since only the first person gets healed, it makes it kind of hard for someone who is physically disabled to get down to the water. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't know, like, what kind of healing was in this place. I don't know if it was supernatural. Um, I don't, also don't know, maybe these people were just desperate for something, you know. Uh, in the first century, if you were injured in a way that you couldn't work, there wasn't, like, kind of, like, assistance for you to get you know, you just couldn't make a living. You were a burden. You, at, you were at best a burden to your family and at worst having to beg. Uh, so it was really kind of a desperate situation. And imagine you're this guy, okay? It's not like, you know, you, you, you sprained your ankle and you couldn't play intramurals for a couple weeks and, you know, you're depressed. It's like the guy had been physically paralyzed for almost 40 years. Imagine what that would do to you if you were physically paralyzed and couldn't get out of bed for just one year. Imagine 38 years. And it's amazing because 40 years was like a lifespan at this time. This guy had been an invalid for as long as most people would ever hope to live. And so Jesus comes in and he asks maybe like the most painfully offensive question that he could possibly ask. Hey, do you want to be healed? Like, yes, you know, clearly, um, you know, affirmative. You know, uh, I would like to be healed. Um, You know, it's been 40 years. Uh, But the man's answer shows us something very interesting. He clearly doesn't know that Jesus can heal him. He has no idea who Jesus is. Because basically what he says is, yeah, I want to get healed, but like there's no one to put me down in the water. So, you know, maybe you could help me out by uh, getting down uh, and helping me get down into the water. Uh, He thinks that what he really needs is the healing water. He doesn't realize that something much more significant, that someone much more significant is standing before him that can actually do something about his disability. Uh, And, you know, this is the point that this story is actually kind of unique. Um, Sorry, we're doing like a, we're like a little bit teachy tonight. Um, That's okay. You guys can handle it. You're in college. Um, This is really one of the only times in the Gospels where Jesus does something like this. Usually what happens with a healing is someone will come to Jesus and they'll say, Jesus, there's something wrong with me, or my daughter, or someone that works for me and my family is sick. Will you heal them? And they sort of exercise some sort of faith, right? They have some idea that Jesus can do something, so they come to Jesus to ask whether out of desperation or out of faith, um, and then Jesus will perform the healing. Or he'll make some comment about how they don't have enough faith, and then they'll say, Lord, please help my unbelief, and he'll, he'll heal them. But that isn't what happens here. There's no indication that this guy has any idea who Jesus is. He's just like a passerby. To put it simply, like, this guy has no faith in Jesus. 
yet Jesus is going to heal him. I mean, the guy, the, the, Jesus walks up to the guy, and it would be kind of like a, a Bill Gates, right, walking up to a homeless person and saying, hey, do you want to be rich? And the guy's like, you know, a McDonald's gift card would be awesome. Um, if you could give me that, it would be great. Um, because he obviously has no idea what this person could do for him. And that's the point. You know, we're seeing that John wants to make a point with what he has here. And the point is, this guy doesn't know who Jesus is. And yet Jesus is moving toward him anyway and initiating with him anyway. He has no idea that Jesus could change his life. Yet here is Jesus approaching him. So that's the question. And let's uh, briefly look at the healing itself. Um, the invalid wants to get down into the water. He thinks the water can help him. Um, but Jesus doesn't need water. Look at, look at what happens here in verse 8. You know, sir, I have no one to put me in the water when the pool is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Uh, Jesus doesn't say any magical words. He doesn't sprinkle any water on him. He doesn't even say, be healed. You know, uh, he, you know. He doesn't say anything. He just merely wills it to happen and then says, get up, take up your bed and walk. All Jesus had to do was just wish it to be so, and it was. Um, That's how powerful Jesus, uh, Jesus is. That is how simple it was for Jesus. And notice the healing itself. You know, it's not like a duct tape kind of healing. Like, you know, well, we'll get you going, but then, you know, you'll get in some uh, physical therapy, you know, kind of get this thing going back right, you know, uh, get a couple of five-hour energies, and you'll be good to go. Uh, This guy's been paralyzed for, like, 40 years. Have you ever, like, had an injury that you had to wear a cast or you couldn't use it? Um, You know that, like, even if it's a minor injury, you still have to kind of get back into the swing of things, right? When I was in second grade... Um, I jumped out of a swing. Well, the interesting story before that is um, that was the, the, the second and last year of my football career and, um, in second grade. And, uh, and look at me. I could have been awesome at football. Anyway, um, uh, so the, the funny thing was that we had played all our games that season, and not only did we not win any games, we didn't score at all in any games. Um, it was super sad. And my mom was really paranoid that I was going to get injured playing football. So after the last game, I went in the swing set and jumped off and broke my arm. And um, so be careful, kids, on the swings. It's more dangerous than football. Um, but, you know, like, I wore a cast, this awesome Atlanta Braves cast, and I wore it for, like, a month. But, like, even though it was only a month, like, after I got it off, you know, my arm, you know, your arm looks all weird and, like, small and super white and uh like i would pick up stuff and drop it like and i had only had my arm in the cast for like a month um it takes time to work back into it i mean if this guy was being healed right now okay let's say this this event was happening right now the last time this guy picked up anything was 1975 okay and that's like older than older than me by a lot um it had been a minute, right, since this guy had uh, picked up anything. Yet here he is. Jesus just says, be healed. Well, he doesn't even say be healed. He says, get up. And the guy gets up. He kneels down. He picks up his bed. And he starts to walk away. He's totally restored with no lingering effects, no rehab. Um, 
I mean, only God could do something like this. Like, medicine has come, obviously, a long way since, since this point. But, like, we still need to work things back into shape. Only God can do something like this. Uh, one of my least favorite things that people say is, it's a God thing. Um, so, no offense. I'm just going to look down because I don't want to. Um, it's like, they're like, it was just, it was a God thing. And I'm like, it's great that you got reservations that you thought you weren't going to be able to get because it's Thursday already. Um, but, you know, I think it's blowing it a little bit out of proportion to say that it was a God, a God thing. Um, you know, but this here is nothing, you know, short of a God thing. A guy who has literally been living in poverty and pain uh, and depression. And it's like just the ability, not, the, the, the ability to not even move. The ability to not move. Um, just not being able to move for 40 years. And here he is. He stands up. Jesus just makes all of it disappear it's clearly something that god himself has done so here's what we've established so far jesus is able and willing to heal someone no matter how sick or injured they are and he's even willing to do it when they are completely clueless about who he is he moves towards a guy has no idea who he is and he heals him i mean later on the people are like Hey, who did this? And he's like, I don't know. You know, like you think that would be something that you would want to find out. Dude healed me from my injury of 40 years. You know, you would want to find out. Um, But Jesus comes to him and heals him. And afterward, doesn't even say, hey, by the way, I was Jesus. Make sure you give me props when you talk to the Pharisees. Um, So I'm, I'm intimately aware, you know, like I said before, that tonight there's all kinds of people here. A lot of you I don't know. That's cool. Um... And that probably all of us come from different, slightly different uh, church or sort of religious backgrounds. Uh, some of you I know for certain had ne- like probably never missed church, grew up in church, never knew a day when you weren't like, I love Jesus. And that's amazing. That's a wonderful testimony and amen to that. I have children, and I want that to be the case um, for them. Um, but there's other of you that like either you didn't grow up in the church, maybe, or like you did but you were waiting to get to college just to kind of like get rid of that. And it's been a couple of years and now you're like maybe easing back into it. Or maybe you're here because your boyfriend, you know, uh, drug you here or more like your girlfriend uh, drug you uh, here. That's cool. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, you know, so there's some of you that like if I said turn to Philemon, you'd be like, bum, 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 got it. Where, where are we at in Philemon? There's other of you that it's like, Phi, is that, you know, is that some like a fraternity, a sorority? Um, <laughs> You know, is that even in the Bible? I don't know. Is that, is that in the front part or the back part? You know, the part with all the people dying or the part with all the people getting better? Um, you know, uh, so if you find yourself relating to that second person, that you didn't grow up in the church or you're kind of just figuring this whole thing out, um, is there not a tremendous amount of comfort if that's you and you're looking around and you're like, I wasn't the youth group all-star, like I don't know the Bible, I don't, I'm not going to know what these people know, I'll never be able to find books of the Bible as fast as them. Um, I mean, there are people in here that would literally beat me in Bible trivia, um, and I'm, I'm becoming okay with that. Um, but if you're not that person and you despair of ever being that person, is there not a comfort in knowing that Jesus moves towards people often when they don't even have any idea who he is. And he does something amazing in our lives. Um, what do you think that Jesus is waiting for you to do or to know before he's at work in your life? He's not waiting for you to know where Philemon is, thankfully. 
Um, is there not some manner of comfort in seeing Jesus move towards someone that's relatively new to this whole thing? Um, because there are people in this story that should know the answers. There are people in this story that grew up their whole life in the household of God, and we're going to see that they don't react super well. Um, so we've seen the question, the healing, and now we'll look at the reaction together. So imagine that you're trotting through this colonnade, right? Maybe you live in Jerusalem and you walk this way every day to work or to go buy unleavened bread or whatever it is that you're doing in Jerusalem. And you see this guy walking around and he's probably older than pretty much everyone else. And he's been paralyzed this whole time. And you see him just kind of like walking, you know, you'd have some swag, I think, probably in your step if you had been paralyzed for 38 years. And now you're, you know, walking around. Um, what would your reaction be to this guy? Would it just be like amazement? Like maybe you'd be freaked out. Um, just like this is incredible what's going on, disbelief. Um, would your first reaction be to start a theological argument with the guy that was healed? Um, hopefully not. Yet look at the response of, uh, in verse 9 uh, by these uh, ruling, these religious elite. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And the guy's like, uh, Hey, guys, you know, notice anything different? You know, um, you know, I'm walking around. I had previously for 40 years not been doing that, and now here I am. Um, you can't imagine someone possibly missing the point worse than this. Like, hey, wait a second, you're not supposed to be carrying stuff, it's Saturday, you know, like, what's the matter with you? Guy, get, go back to where you were and lay down. Um, uh, they obviously missed the point. A good friend of mine, who will remain nameless, um, she was getting ready for her wedding, and, uh, and uh, she was a beautiful bride, by the way, but um, she, was, she was getting ready for her, for her wedding and, uh, at her house, and her mom was getting herself ready at her house, and... Um, so her mom was really excited as her first child to get married, and so um, she had got this dress on sale, and uh, it was it was really nice. And she had gotten like this makeup. She went to Belk, and Belk, you know, they do the makeup for you, and like it like opened up new worlds for her. You know, she had this new makeup, and she had went tanning, and um, and she looked great. I was at the wedding; she looked wonderful, best I've ever seen her look. Um, but the only problem was that by the time, <laughs> what? She looked good. I mean, it's fine. Um, but the only problem—the only problem was that by the time she arrived at her daughter's house, her daughter was already ready. So she showed up to help her daughter get ready, and when she got there, her daughter was like had the dress, the veil, uh, the uh, the makeup, everything was ready to go, and she was just waiting to leave. Um, this this lady, like in her excitement about getting ready for this event, had missed getting the bride adorned. For her wedding day, like she missed the point um, entirely. And these religious elite are so obsessed with keeping the law, with their various interpretations of the law, that they totally miss that God was doing something uh, amazing in their midst. And we like to think that we wouldn't do that, right? Like we like to think that we would be walking by the, this guy and be like, no, this is amazing. This is great. Like, let's go celebrate. Um, but, you know. Uh, I think we tend to be like these people a lot. How could they be so oblivious? It seems like a, no, a no-brainer. 
Um, now, the question isn't, uh, you know, the problem isn't that they cared about the Sabbath. And, you know, the problem is that you cared about the Sabbath and you just should stop caring about that stuff and just care about what God's doing, this exciting thing. That's not the case. Jesus had a very high view of the law. Um, Jesus kept the law perfectly. Um, you know, the, the Sabbath uh, is, is something in the scripture. It made the top ten of the Ten Commandments. So, you know, it should be fairly important. Uh, it's number four. In case you're wondering, that's how you remember it. You say, like, you walk to church, go to church, on to the, anyway. Um, you know, God has said, you know, I created the world in six days, and then I rested to, a set, to set a precedent for you. You should rest on the Sabbath day. Just a side point, you know, like, maybe try to get the work done on Saturday, so that on Sunday, you know, you follow me. Okay, good. You know, you could go to church and then rest. That would be a good thing for you. Um, that's a very, very good thing. Uh, the Sabbath is important. And there's questions about what we should and shouldn't do on the Lord's Day. You know, these are, these are important, good questions to ask. And to be fair to the Pharisees, you know, they were recognizing that the Sabbath was important. They're like, look, you guys aren't taking this seriously enough. Like, we want to kind of be serious about the Bible. We want to be balanced like the Bible. And so what they were trying to do was define more narrowly, this is what it looks like to, to keep the Sabbath, you know, and so they had these definitions. You can carry this thing for this far, but if you carry this thing, you can only carry it this far, and after that, it's sinning, you know, you're breaking the Sabbath uh, after that point. Um, but they became obsessed with these little interpretations of the law. Uh, so, in, uh, so obsessed, in fact, they lost sight of the fact that the law of God, uh, James says, is perfect freedom. And instead, they put themselves under bondage because they became morbidly obsessed with what is and what isn't rule keeping. Um, they became so obsessed, in fact, that they actually became blind. Now, when we said before, there's kind of there's like there's probably two kinds of people in the room. There's like you grew up in the church, you know, and then and then not so much. Um, some of us in that first category can relate to these guys, right? Because we get into theological squabbles about things. We know how it feels to get wrapped around the axle about something that we're like, this probably isn't that big of a deal, but it feels like a big deal, and I'm going to get really angry at you. You know, it's like the kid, like he doesn't want to play that game, so he just sits up here and everyone else has a good time because he's mad because we didn't play the game that I wanted to play. Um, We can get focused on secondary issues, like, uh, you know, they raised their hands when they were singing, and that's weird. And so they're probably not serious about worship. Or they didn't raise their hands, and so they probably aren't really Christians. Um, Or uh, they sang old songs, or they sang new songs. Um, Or, you know, Christians wouldn't go to that kind of party, listen to that kind of music, watch that kind of TV show. Or if these people really had freedom in Jesus, they would go to the right parties, listen to the good music. And watch the good TV shows, right? Um, and we get, it, it seems silly talking about it right now, and everyone's like, whatever, I don't do that. But I meet with you guys every single day, and yes, you do. Um, we all do it. Like, you know, they're, they're just too happy all the time, or they're too cynical all the time. It's just like, it's, it's on and on and on. And we get so morbidly obsessed with these secondary issues that we forget our first love. Uh, in Revelation... Chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to these churches, and um, he says this to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. 
And I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus' message to the church in Ephesus was, you do a lot of things right. Your theology is spot on, okay? These people, they're false apostles. You tell them that, and you're great. And I know you're bearing up, but there's one thing you've forgotten. You forgot your first love. Uh, The real danger for the religious leaders in this passage isn't being too serious about God's law. Um, It isn't being too serious about theology. It isn't caring too much about the Bible. The problem isn't that they missed Jesus' miracle. The problem is they missed Jesus. Um, Jesus responds to them in verse uh, 17, and he says, My father is working until now, and I am working. And Jesus basically says, okay, so you say that I can't work on the Sabbath, but guess what? God works on the Sabbath, i.e. he keeps the universe running all the time. Thankfully, he doesn't take the Sabbath off, or else we would be spiraling out of control. Um, And I'm working too. I've been doing this too. He's basically saying, I'm God. God is my father, and I do the same work as him. So he's called himself God, and despite all the evidence... Despite all the miracles, despite all the authoritative teaching that he's done, despite his insider understanding of the law and his love and his healings, they miss it. They were blinded to God. Uh, And if you resonate with that group of people, um, if you're one of those folks that gets wrapped around the axle over stuff like that, and you've lost friendships over the church that you chose or that they dated that boy and you're not really sure. Um, If you're that person and you resonate with him, there's grace for us here. And John doesn't want us to miss this point. This is the thing that John wants us to see. There's a real clear reminder um, that, number one, that we can miss the point, that we're prone to miss the point. I know I am. You know, to be like a stormtrooper, you know, they're always shooting and never, ever ever hitting the thing that they're shooting at. Um, John wants to remind us, hey, look, look, look. You might not be this guy that doesn't know who Jesus is. You might be the person that knows who Jesus is. You know all the answers. You know Jesus very well. You're acquainted with the scriptures. You know where Philemon and Habakkuk are. Um, But just because you know all that stuff doesn't mean that you you can't miss Jesus. Doesn't mean that you can't miss what God is doing. And it's a reminder, it's a wake up call for us to say, hey, instead of missing the point, don't be like these people. Look to the healing, look to Jesus, look to this guy that heals people and moves towards them and be healed. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks uh, for your goodness and your grace in our lives. We thank you that, um, Lord, we're a mess and we're distracted. And, um, Lord, we're so uh, sure that we see, um, Lord, that we, just, we miss you. And um, we're so sure that the thing that we're passionate about is what everyone should be passionate about, that we alienate people. And, um, Lord, we need you um, to intervene in our lives. Uh, we need you to be real to us, and we need you to heal us. Lord, would you do it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.